Welcome to the Dream Big Nation podcast. In this show, veteran recruiter, wealth mentor, and entrepreneur, Lisa Williams, will take you on a journey of exploration and discovery to learn what it takes to hire yourself. Are you ready to dream big and grow into the person you're meant to become? If so, you're in for a treat. And now, here is your host, Lisa Williams. Mark, we are live on Facebook. Welcome, my friend. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. So one day I need to learn how to be all cool and technical and go live on Facebook for a podcast. I just don't know how to do that, you know. I'm learning as I go. So welcome, everyone, to our Dream Ignition podcast. I'm Lisa Williams, your host, and I am absolutely thrilled to be interviewing this man, Mr. Mark Kwan. I had the privilege to see him live this past weekend in Arizona at our Wealth Builders event. And this man is an accomplished individual. He has been with the firm for, Mark, how long have you been with WFG now? About 15 years. Okay. So 15 years. And you know, Mark grew up in a, in a poor community. His family didn't have a lot to, you know, to support themselves and He has just risen through the ranks. He is a prolific author. He's now written three books, which this is the latest, Top 25 Ways an IUL Can Secure Your Financial Future. And I am about a third of the way in. I bought 175 copies and I'm giving to all my clients and all my partners. I absolutely adore what you teach, Mark. So welcome to our show. Well, glad I'm, I'm happy to have do this for you today. You know, it was a, it was a fun to speak to you know large group of people about you know financial literacy in general. It's what I enjoy talking about, and you know I, we have a lot of mutual friends and a mutual respect and a lot of other you know people that that we kind of are connected through. So we, we run in the same circles of entrepreneurs and and people, big thinkers, and and people trying to do big things. So I love being connected with those people. So I, I was Absolutely. excited to talk to you today Absolutely. too. Absolutely. So let's share with our audience just some of your backstory because it's fascinating. And I I got to hear it firsthand, but they haven't yet. So please share with us. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Canadian born. I was born in Thompson, Manitoba, which is way up north of north, north, northern Canada. You know, my dad was a, a miner, a nickel miner in northern Canada. Like, you know, it's like cold, like polar bears and stuff. Not quite polar bears, but pretty close, pretty cold place be born. And, you know, my, my dad, my family was like, like hard labor. My dad was a miner and then he was a construction guy, bricklayer, a lot of hard labor, you know, and we grew up in the, you know, the poor neighborhoods and things like that. And, and uh, yeah. And then, so I kind of, you know, was doing that. And I remember my dad wanted me to, you know, my dad was like, Hey, do you want to learn how to lay bricks when I was younger? You know? And I was like, no. He was like, why not? Because then I then I said, then I'll become a bricklayer. And I don't want. Sorry, Dad, but I don't want to become a bricklayer. My dad didn't want me to become a bricklayer too. Was his was his dad a bricklayer? No, his dad dad was was that a common theme. (laughs) No, no, absolutely not. No, his dad was was thirteen, and his father got killed on a fishing boat at thirteen. So at at thirteen years old, my grandfather got into a boat and never learned to read or write his entire life. And he was immediately the man of the house, basically. Yes. At, at that age. age. Wow. Yep. So, yeah. So we come from, uh, you know, a lot of hard labor, a lot of, you know, my dad was born in Newfoundland. So if you leave, if you leave Ireland and you, you know, you take a boat, the place is, is the Newfoundland, right? They call it Newfoundland. So my dad was born there and, and just grew up and, 
you know, just trying to figure out how to make money and, you know, figure out what to do with my life, you know? So it's, ended pretty, up in cold. California it's pretty cold there too, isn't it? It's, yeah. I'm from I'm from Alaska originally. Oh, yeah. I, I can't recall if I shared that with you. I remember that I do. I was actually listening to one of your other things and you mentioned about being in Alaska. So yeah, it's just it's just bitter cold. I mean, once you get below 20, 30 below, it does it all feels the same. It's just really cold, you know. <laughs> it's not like 30 below or 40 below is very different, right? It's about it's pretty close to the same, you know. So, so you said no to the bricklayer. So what 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 happened next? Um, I was I actually decided to go to college. And I went to college in Canada, even though I never got a high school diploma they, in Canada that you're allowed to go to a college, even without a diploma, you can get into an entry program. So I went to college and I went for business and I was like, man, this is the place that I'm going to learn business and finances and, and investing. And, uh, you know, after two years, I was like, this is just not the place for me because business school was not teaching me, you know, much about building wealth. It wasn't teaching me um, the things that I want to learn, it was being taught by teachers that never rent own businesses, that never were successful. They weren't investors, you know, so I was like sitting in class and I was always questioning these, these people that are teaching me to do this thing have never done it before. They've never had any success in the area yet. I was sitting in class like statistics, which I would never use that information. And I was just going, man, college, it just seems like it was a place to, you know, throw people and to go in debt, you know, student loans and credit card debts. So, so I guess so it was like, this is, of, business school is not you, for me. And did I just you kind of always have the, did you kind of always have the finance interest that in, in your, in your early upbringing as well? I guess so. I was just tired of being poor all the time. So when you have no money, you go, oh man, I got to figure out how to make it. You know, and I just, I was, I just like how to sell stuff or like, I don't know. I was just like, I, I need to make money somehow. So I just kind of always, you know, figured out some way, you know, whether it was, I don't know, just, I tried a lot of different things. Most of them don't yeah. work. Some of them work, right? <laughs> so. so what happened next after college then? Uh, after college, I came to California. I became a security guard for minimum wage, like $6.15 an hour. And then I got a job as a private investigator and I used to chase people around with a video camera on workers' compensation claims. And I did that for over about six years. Um, Wait, are you serious? Yeah. That was my first job out of school. No way. I worked for the Department of Labor. And Uh, I I would like take pictures of people on on workers' comp claims, like up building a house. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Turning them in. (laughs) Yeah, did that for six years. Workers' compensation investigator. And, you know, six years later, I was building somebody else's company. And I was like, man, I've been building this other guy's company you know, how do I, how do I own something? And I happened to go to a sushi bar in 2005 and, you know, met some people there and a guy was like, Hey, you know, do you understand, you know, do you want to learn more about finance? I'm like, sure, whatever. And I had one question for him. I said, is this Amway? And he said, no. And I said, cool, come on over to my place. Cause the only thing I wasn't open to was Amway at the time. <laughs> so I was very like, I was entrepreneur, but I was like, not doing Amway, right? Wait, did you have like a, did you have a bait and switch? Like someone invited you to like a I presentation? Everybody has and a, then... <laughs> I think everybody has a relative or friend who like, you know, got them to like try Amway or support the family, try Amway or something like that. So I had, I had a sister who had done Amway and, and she did fairly well in it for a while, but I was just not open to that. So I was open to anything else. I was like the guy who was very easy to recruit in the financial industry because I had an interest in finances and I was very dissatisfied at the time. So I was like the easiest guy ever to recruit in the industry. So you got to find somebody who's dissatisfied and, 
and likes finances. And that's kind of what, that's kind of what grows the financial industry these days. Yeah. So. So you tell us about kind of your early days and were, were you a fast start? Were you are, were you always good at what you did or tell us about the early days of it? I was pretty go-getter because I was like, yeah, I was pretty fast. I was pretty fast. We did, I didn't, we didn't really know what we were doing. Even though, even the leadership that you see now, that's all really good. They were not good at it. You know, the, the people, you know, way up who do very well, they were very bad at it when I started too, and we were kind of bad together. We we're all learning, but we're like, all right, we'll just figure this thing out, right? Because the systems we have in place weren't built. So yeah, what, I, year, I was what year was that, Mark? What's that? It was 2005 when was I that? started. Okay. It was late 2005. Okay. So I kind of got a little start, kind of slow for a little bit. Like I didn't show up for the first few times I was invited. And then I got there and I thought it was kind of weird, right? <laughs> I was like, you know, at the time and but I wanted to learn. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back and learn some stuff. I'll just keep going back and keep learning. What do I got to lose? And then it kind of, kind of stuck. And I started having some success and, and I just like finances. So to be around a financial company just made a lot of sense. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I'm still learning today, you know, so. Well, uh, one of the things that I love about the organization is that it's a group of lifelong learners. Tell us about your experience with continuing to grow and and what advice you might have for people that maybe either are early stage in their entrepreneurial journey or maybe haven't quite made that brave leap yet but they're thinking about it yeah it's it's i mean it's really you're gonna have to read some books obviously you have to change your mindset before before wfg i had read books like rich dad poor dad and cashflow quadrant and I understood that I wanted to use other people's time and other people's money. So I kind of had a little bit of a foundation on that. I'd read some books and I had a, the mindset. I just needed to find the opportunity, right? So I sort of had the correct mindset as an entrepreneur just because I read the books and I kind of knew what I was looking for. When I sat into a presentation, I said, man, this is exactly what I was looking for. I was like, I've been looking for this. For a long time, you could leverage other people's time, other people's money, those basic things that you would that entrepreneurs understand, and you know, we'll call them the top one percent understand. That's how they got there. They they changed their mindset and they changed the way that they were thinking, and then they changed their associations. You can't you can't expect to hang out with the same people who make the same money, who think the same way, and expect your situation change. You have to start changing your associations, you have to start, you know changing your mindset, you know, of, of money and how it works and, you know, and then just associate the same way a tennis player would always hang out with other tennis players and be practicing their game all the time, whatever business you work in, you have to associate yourself around those people that are where you want to be. And you have to be immerse yourself in that environment. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was, I really wanted to do that because I hated my job. <laughs> I really hated it. I was making a lot of money, but I just, I hated my job at the time when I was, when somebody. Now, were you still doing the investigator role or had you transitioned I, to something else? No, I was in, I was still in the private investigator uh, role. And then pretty soon what word got around that I was doing something else. And my boss sat me down one day and said, Hey, you're running the whole department here, but I hear you're doing something else. And I said, yeah, I'm doing something else. He goes, how long do you expect to be here? I said, I don't know, maybe like another couple months. He's like, uh, how about two weeks instead? Right. I was like, he's like, look, you're running the department. It's not going to expand if you have, you know, 
one and a half feet out the door. So, you know, just put in your two weeks and try and train a replacement. And I said, cool. And I'm still, you know, I still know that guy because I, so I trained my replacement. I left the company on very good terms and I just jumped in head first. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, and then the economy crashed <laughs> not too far long after that. Yeah. What was, yeah. tell me, tell us about that time. I've, I've recruited in financial services for 25 years. And so I, I'm very, I, I lost like everybody else did in 2008. What was it like during that time as an advisor and, and just being in the thick of it like that? You know, it wasn't very, it was, it was pretty tough. It was, it was good and it was bad, right? It was, it was tough because people just, you were helping more people get out of debt. People were having um, tough times, but it was also good because the best people you find are dissatisfied, right? If people were satisfied, it was harder to recruit in 2006 and 2007, early 2007, because people were satisfied. Everyone had their, their homes were shooting up in value. Their 401ks were shooting up in value. Everyone was getting their raises. They had their stability. Everything was good. And people have to be dissatisfied to want to change, right? They have to have some sort of dissatisfaction. So, you know, 2008 was an opportunity for people to, to become dissatisfied and, you know, and realize that, is this really what I want to do? You know, I remember seeing an interview by like, I forget who he was. He was a billionaire and he was at the start of 2008. He was saying that this is going to be very tough on a lot of people, but a lot of people are going to have to wake up and realize that is this is what I want to be doing. Is this job what I want to be doing for the rest of my life? And a lot of business owners came out of that. So there's a lot of businesses that were created, you know, after some of the, some of the greatest companies. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the same, the same things happen right now with COVID, by the way, people yeah. are, you know, the person who maybe was running the restaurant before and loses it is going to go through tough times, but they're going to have to learn to retool themselves and figure out, you know, what, what's going to work in a, in a new economy because things are going to change forever. I think after this. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let's talk about your book because this book is changing a lot of lives. And so tell us about act like our audience is a second grader when it comes okay. to an IUL and just kind of basic fundamentals and what brought you to write it and what you're hoping to achieve with it as well. Um, okay. So I guess you know, I'd have to give you a little bit of background on the first book that I wrote is Rich Man Poor Bank. And it's about the banking industry and how they take advantage of people, right? How they they teach you to save money and get good credit. And that really makes banks wealthy. When you save money, banks get wealthy when you get good credit. So if that's the focus, you're going to have a tough time, right? You need to focus on investing in things. So I wrote that first book about the banking industry. And then I wrote the second book on, on top 10 ways to avoid taxes was written in 2018. And then I touched on the topic of something called rich man's Roth or something called IUL, Okay. And an IUL was, was, has been around for about 24 years, roughly. So it's not a new product, but it's a way to invest with, invest with no risk. So to put your money into an investment account that can only go up, can never go down. It comes with life insurance, long-term care. It grows with no risk. It grows with no taxes. And then there's this cool, cool way where you can invest your money. If you need access to cash for something, you can borrow at very low interest rates. So that's where the end build a tax-free family bank comes comes in on that topic. So it's just a very misunderstood type of vehicle. Even in, oh, I know I know a lot of advisors who really need to step up their education. And the reason that I wrote the book was during COVID, I saw lots of opportunities to make money, right? During COVID. And I said, man, wow. But I, I kept being on these Zoom calls with 
people. And I would ex explain the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, you know, five times a day. And I was like, you know what? I wrote two books, but I started writing this report for like, I was going to write it for my clients and associates. And I kept writing, writing, writing. And I said, you know what? Here we go. Book number three. And so it, it took a lot to time to you know get it into book format and things like that. But finally it was released. And I think it's, it's an opportunity for people to learn how to invest like the top 1%, like the people who invest and they can make money consistently all the time. Economy goes bad, they don't lose it. And then also it's, it's to protect the legacy you have. If you're going to have real estate, a 401k, how do you protect those assets, right? And I think this is the best vehicle. It's the best. It's the Swiss army knife of investing. It has the most universal purposes of investing of any tool that I've ever seen in the financial industry. And I was a investment advisor. I've done all those things. It's the most useful tool to help you protect your real estate, your 401ks, these other things, and also keep you out of debt at the same time, keep you from having to use your credit cards and stuff in emergencies. So it's, it's just a very, again, it's the most useful vehicle for growing and protecting wealth that I've ever seen. And it, it did, it wasn't initially when it was created at 24 years ago, it's just evolved in that through the competition and creation of these products in the marketplace. Yeah. It's, so, you know, what's crazy is I read about the IUL initially in Tony Robbins book, yes. Money Master the Game. Do you yep. remember when that he came, yeah. he came out with that after the 2008 crash. And yeah. I remember thinking to myself, huh, I should look into that. And I never did. Right. So my question to you is, because I was in corporate for 25 years, yeah. have a really fat 401k, I'm going to be paying a lot of taxes on. Yeah. And I'm, I'm working on moving it into my IUL right now <laughs> awesome. as, as time goes on. But so this is my question. I actually had two advisors I've worked with for years. One, I follow the advice for my assets. One, I follow for my husband's. We were W-2 employees. We really didn't have yeah. a lot of options, right? So why did my advisors not tell me about the IUL, in your opinion? They, they don't understand it. They really don't understand so it. So it's not that they're not licensed to sell it. Is that correct? It could be they're licensed or they're not licensed. Most okay. of them don't understand it. And they and some of them look at it as like it's a it's a either or thing. They really right. don't understand that an IUL can help you build your 401k plan bigger. Right. An IUL can be used as investing in other stocks and things like that. But I think that you'll find in the financial industry, most advisors are in a little bubble. Okay. I don't care what company it is, it's all advisors and tend to be in a little bubble, right? If a person works at you name it, insurance company. I'll tell you what, I'm going to say Northwestern Mutual, New York yeah. Life. They're told, they're said, this yeah. is the products. These are the ones, these are the best ones. They don't see anything different. If an advisor works at Primerica, they're told that term insurance is the only thing that works and the only thing that you should buy, right? And that's all that they see. So I've always been wanting to learn more, you know, outside of the bubble and, I, and you know, and and I always wanted to do that. So, you know, I did a lot of research. You know, when I when when I started WFG, we sold one product. That was it, one, right? There was one thing we sold for one company. What was it then? It was a VUL okay. um, through Western Reserve Life. And that's what I bought because that's what I knew how to do. It was, so it was very simple. You just had to learn one product. And that's right. It was, it was very simple. But then the company evolved and all this comp competitive products came in the industry and it was good because it created competition in the marketplace and it made companies compete and compete, yeah. and compete. you know, so that was the good thing about it is that, 
you know, competition creates better products and the consumer eventually wins because it brings down costs and, and gives competition in the marketplace. But and well, um, and, and tell me your opinion about like, I really see IULs as overtaking like 529 plans. I like when you compare the savings vehicle for, you know, starting when they're babies to a 529, it's almost, it's almost laughable. Well, yeah. And I have a very simple rule and, and I gave this a lot of thought, like what, what tells me what is a good investment and what isn't a good investment? And so it's very simple for me. If I can use other people's money in my investing, okay. So OPM, some people are familiar with it, but other people's money, right? If I can use OPM and it, it's good. If not, I'm not interested. And that's a good way to separate it for me on what works and what doesn't work. So if you have a 401k, you put a dollar in, your employer puts a dollar in, that's other people's money. You should use that, right? Because that's free money toward your investing. You should definitely use that. But above and beyond that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Why would I not put money into a 529 or a Roth IRA? You can't use other people's money. Immediately eliminate it, right? So I everything that I do, if, if I can use other people's money in some way or shape or form, I will do it. If I can move my money around to look at other opportunities, to move it to other opportunities, investing, that's where I'll do it. You can't do that with traditional financial advising. You just can't I do love it. That. It's, all, it's all your own money. It's locked up until you're 60 years old. You can't use it, whatever. I don't get a match on a 401k. So I don't use most of the traditional products that that people recommend in the, in the financials. I do have mutual funds and I do have like stocks and things like that, but I also understand how to manage them myself too. <laughs> but right, yeah, right. So, but other people's money. And that's the thing for me that is most important. Right. So there were, there were a couple questions that you, you gave there. I think there were four questions when you were talking about if you were introducing an IUL to a client, what what were those questions? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Well, there's yeah, there's it's really five things. Five things, right? okay. And people go, an IUL isn't suitable for everybody. Well, it kind of is because if you're middle, if you don't have any money, you need it. If you're middle America, you certainly need to protect your assets. And if you're in a high tax bracket, you need to self-protect your assets and protect yourself from taxes. But you need to maximize these five things, right? And the first one is life insurance when your term insurance expires. Some will go, good. I just want my term insurance. Fantastic. Get yourself a big term insurance. I do term insurance for my clients. But when that expires, what do I do? Do I want life insurance when my term insurance expires? Most people would say yes. Okay. So it's, it's permanent life insurance. When that term insurance expires, you're going to have some life insurance that's going to pay out until you, until you expire, as we say, right? And then two, it's, it's long-term care. People are losing their assets because they never purchased long-term care. The baby boomers are seeing their parents are getting older and they're losing their assets. So protect your assets. Long-term care is very, very important to protect all the work you do during your life. But there's no easy way to get it until now, very inexpensively, and in an age where you can have it now and, and pay pennies on the dollar and have it there for asset protection. There's no other solution that I've seen in the financial services industry anywhere for that asset protection. So that's number two. Number three is grow your money without risk. So you can grow your money where it grows. And when the economy crashes, your money does not grow, does not crash, right? And that's super key. All wealthy people want that. And that's how they get wealthy because they want something that doesn't crash. If all your assets go up, and then they all crash. You have no money to invest 
when the best opportunities are there, right? So they call that a non-correlated asset. Grow your money. When the market crashes, you have lots of access to cash that you can invest in all these other things. So again, number three is grow your money without risk. Number four is grow your money without taxes. No state, no federal, and no capital gains taxes for the rest of your life. So I don't know how you feel about eliminating taxes. Well, and let's let's pause there because you asked the question, what do you think taxes will be like when you retire? And and that four-letter word that David Walker and David McKnight say, because of math, math, there's no way that they can't be higher. For somebody, for an advisor to, the, the, the idea that you can put your money into a retirement account and pay less in taxes in the future is a ridiculous idea today. It's a ridiculous concept. And if you run the numbers where taxes were when they created the 401ks and where they are now, you just run the numbers. It's almost never going to happen. You can't defer taxes and be in a lower tax bracket when you retire. It's very, very unlikely for almost everybody of any income. I can spell that out for you in every single way. It, it's and then that's only that. It's you know the United States is in a lot of trouble. You know you have Social Security between 2002 to 28 and 2034. It's going to start running out of money, right? It's going to need cuts of 75 percent. So if a person thinking they're going to live on Social Security, which they can't live on. What if it's cut by 40% when they time they retire? How are you going to live on you know, 60% of what you couldn't live on in the first place? So, right. so right. people really need to, one thing I tell people is you need a you need a financial you need a financial education, you need financial literacy because the safety nets that were there for our parents and things, they're not going to be there. And if you don't, if you don't get financially literate and you don't have a plan to get out of debt, stay out of debt. Grow your assets, not lose them, protect them from taxes, and then protect your legacy. If you don't have a written plan in place to understand that, you, know, you can be one of those people that, that frankly lives on the streets in the future when you're elderly, and it's unfortunate. There's a, there's a reason so many grandmas and grandpas are working at Target and McDonald's. It's not because they want to. No, they don't. No, no. They don't. no. So no. then number five. Uh, number five is build a tax-free family bank. And if you realize yeah. that you have an investment that goes up and it never loses money and it's never taxable for the rest of your life, why wouldn't somebody lend you money against the security of that investment? It's done all the time by the rich people. They borrow from the security of their investments, right? To invest in other things. Well, this is what's generally really misunderstood. Um, yeah. among, most, among most advisors, in fact, most people who sell IULs in the marketplace do not understand this concept. Is that kind of along the lines of Nash's Be Your Own Banker? Is it in that same similar vein? It kind of is, but a lot yeah. of guys who, who who say Be Your Own Banker, they're generally selling whole life insurance whole life. policies. Yeah, they're just yeah. selling whole life insurance policies. Okay. And when whole life used to pay 10 and a half percent, that was great. You could get you could pay, you know, get paid 10 and a half percent on your money if you could borrow at six. You know, yeah, you have the difference. But right now, a whole life policy, you might get four or five, maybe. Yeah. Right? So it, it, that that argument falls apart when you look at where interest rates are today. Now let's look at. Let's just go back to number four because this is a question I always get. How is it possible that you can guarantee no risk in an IUL? Just act, just be a very layperson's like very easy description of that. Okay. Probably one of the most secure investments in the world is a bond portfolio. 
right? Because if you put your money into 500 bonds, you know, those 500 companies would have to file for bankruptcy. So it's pretty much the lowest risk investment ever created in the money. So if you put your money in bonds, there's no risk, right? If you put the took the dividends, right? So we'll call that your bonds. And you took the dividends from the bonds and you bought stock options, okay? It's a piece of paper, we'll call that the paper. And you bet up with that. You would create a no risk portfolio. You could do it. You could put the money in bonds, you could take the dividends, accumulate them, and you could buy stock options that bet up in the market. If you did that, you would have a zero risk portfolio. Okay, so anybody can do this, but if you did it, it would be taxable. You'd have the taxes on the, the dividends you would have to pay. And then the, 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 the stock option, if you sold it early, you would have you know taxes on the gains. So if you did it, you did it. So if you just took that structure, your bonds, and you put it into an insurance wrapper, it becomes ta tax-free. So just take a, a risk-free investment and you put it under the shelter of an insurance policy. You now have a tax-free and risk-free investment. It's that simple. It's anybody can anybody can build it. You just yeah. have to know how they do it. So it's not magic. It's not voodoo. Or like that sounds too good to be true. It, rich people do it. You can do it too. It's just you know, 24 years ago they created that, and then they've just been upgrading and competing, and then they added long-term care, and then the ability to loan against it. So all these cool things. So it's not magic. Well, it's and I think you said something really important because I think I remember an agent I worked with about a year ago, she had learned of IULs, but she assumed it was for the wealthy. And that's absolutely not the case. I mean, I, I get just as much joy, if, if not more joy, helping a single mom save, you know, 50 bucks a month as I do, you know, a millionaire, which I've helped both. Tell me now, I want to shift a little bit. Before we do, everyone, you must get this book. This will change your life in terms of your investing. Imagine, Mark, I, I think a new affirmation should be that every uh, high school student should get this book and should start reading about it and learn what their FIN number is. How crazy and wonderful would our world be if that was if that was something that we made happen? <laughs> yeah, and I talk a little bit about col the college system. And actually, under yeah. the education, I talk about the college system and how it's set up. Before right. you go to college, you should probably read that chapter, right? Before you go right. to college and take on the student loans and see who how it's set up, because I also go into that. So I didn't really, to be honest with you, I didn't really want to write a book just on IUL, but yeah. I did want to write it. So there's a lot of other content on other people's money and 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 kind of the mindset to 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 if you want to leave the 99% and join the 1%. I think there's a lot of content from the first book and the second book in there built into that book. So it really reinforces the number of the first and second book. Yeah. Well, let's face it. I mean, the Department of Education has pretty much become the largest lender and bank in the world with all the debt and our that our kids are burdened with, and even their parents are burdened with, you know, with these parent loans and grandparent loans and all this stuff. So let's shift for the last few minutes. We are almost out of time. I can't, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's shift just to just the spirit of entrepreneurship and the power in, I'm, I'm starting to use this phrase, like creating your own stimulus check and okay. your own economy. I mean, what, what has this brought your life? You know what? For me, it's 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 the freedom. When coronavirus started, I was like, okay, well, this doesn't really affect me. In fact, it, it improved the situation because then I was like, 
I was I was trying to do business by Zooms before coronavirus, and every conversation was, "What's a Zoom? How does it work? Whatever." So, you know, it's now it's even easier. I can, you know, you know, I have a team across the United States right now, and and I'm building that team. But it's it's the yeah, it's having the time to write a book. It's a lot of time and energy to write a book. But if you have residual income co- coming in, it gives you the freedom to do that. Right? I was inspired. I, I, the first book I wrote, I said, I'll never write a book because it was, took me five years. I said, I'll never do that again. That was <laughs> painful or whatever. And then 2018, I actually got really, really sick and had heart and valve repair. Oh, good grief. I was in the ICU of USC Keck Hospital. And I had a lot of Norcos at the time, to be honest with you. And I was like, wow, maybe I should write another book. So it was like literally inspired by almost dying and and. <laughs> And, and narcotics. Norcos, combination of death and Norcos. And I was like, oh, I got to write another book. And then I was like, oh, I'll never write another book because it's it's a lot of, it's, there's a love-hate relationship with writing and, and it's, it's so mentally taxing over you know months and months and months to get it done. So, but then coronavirus happened again. I was like, you know, I got to write this book because I just, I, so I, honestly, all three books were inspired. There's some event that it, event, that it, event that inspired me to do it. And you know, so it's kind of, I don't even, I mean, writing is painful. I don't even like it sometimes, but if you're like, I, if you're, if you're passionate about the topic, yeah, you know, I yeah. found that I can actually write stuff. And I was the kid who hated school. I hated reading and I hated writing. So how, how I became an author and just, <laughs> it, it, I, I sit there and go, what happened here? And people ask me to sign books. I'm like, wait a second. You don't know where I came from. Like you're asking, you want me to sign your book? I and mean, that's good. That's crazy to me, but you know, I'm excited that I have that gift or I don't know if it was a gift or it was something that's developed through persistent, but you know, the books sell and people like them. So I'm like, that's awesome. Right. So, well, you, you, and you talk about, it's just another income stream and how different would this coronavirus be in this crisis? If every family had a dish, had an additional income stream. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's a new world and you have to think a little bit differently than you would before. You know, these days you can connect with somebody, you know, and give them some good information and improve their life and help them get out of debt and you can make good money doing it. So that's a, that's a very cool way to make money. You know, there's, 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 there's ways to make money, but there's ways to make money and make an impact. You know, you know, I, I have clients who make money in a lot of different ways some of them don't really make an impact. Like they're not really improved. They're selling stuff. They're doing this, they're doing that, but they're not really making a true impact on people's lives. Like they're not really doing that. So for me, I got to have that. I got to be able to do that. You know, I know how to invest in markets and things like that. But at the end of the day, you know, even if you're a financial independent, what are you going to do every day? You're going to sit up and sit by the pool all day. It kind of get boring, you know? So doing something that has an impact on people's lives is pretty cool. I mean, I've got people on my team that didn't have kids. Now they have kids, their kids are financially literate and their kids are big thinkers and they're going to do great things in the world because of, you know, being around parents who are thinking bigger and being around personal development themselves and stuff. So, um, well, and let's just, I think that's a great way to wrap up because it is truly one of my favorite things about this business is the building of people. And just talk to us a little bit about the impact you've had the blessing to, to be a part of with the people and the leaders in your organization. 
You know, I, just like writing, building people is it's it's frustrating sometimes, right? Yeah. Because you have to. Not everyone's ready to, to to push themselves out of their comfort zone, so it can be frustrating working with people all the time. But you know what? For for the, for each person that's frustrating, you find the person who's just excited, and there's and they're just they just love it. They're so excited, right? I've got this new guy in my team. And he's just excited, right? He's got a huge center of influence. He's, you know, his name's Guillermo and, and the guy's just excited and he knows tons of people and everybody loves him. And he's a leader in his community and he just, everybody loves and trusts him and he's just excited, you know? And so just, just to find those people that were hungry, they're dissatisfied. They love to help others and give them an opportunity to, to win big. Right. And the thing yeah. is, there's no, there's no cap. There's no, there's no, there's no ceiling anywhere. And the fact is you can build a company that you can will generationally to your family. So if you want to build a company that you could pass to your kids, that they can, they can benefit them in so many ways, not just financially, but then they can pass it to their kids. That's a pretty cool thing to, to pass on. Right? There's, not a lot of, there's not a lot of businesses and things like that where you can do, where you can you know, pass on a huge legacy like that yeah. and get financially educated and help other people and make great money and have control of your schedule you know, and, 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 right. Well, so. and, and some of it, I mean, is it, is it cap that says dream big dream dreams so big that when they happen, only God gets the credit. I mean, it is, it really is true. It's, it's, fa- it's fabulous. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm around people that are, that for, that encourage me to think big and, you know, and it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You can, you, can have, you can have a lot of thoughts, but you got to, you know, there's like, there's one of the biggest guys ever created a business in, in world financial groups in Rich. And Rich was saying that even when he leaves, he's not around the organization, like the younger people that are doing it, even his thoughts get negative. And he was like, you're like, wow, this guy's been worth a billion dollars. He's been around personal development for, you know, 40 years, whatever. And he was saying that if he, if he just kind of disconnects from, the the company even his thoughts start to get negative so just you know, the, people need to be around other people that are like-minded that environment. you do yeah. you have to and you, you could never disconnect from that if you do it kind of people kind of go in that direction so to hear that from a guy who's been doing it for 40 years and he's probably one of the most wealthy you know financial you know people in the united states just on yeah. that level and then just hear that like okay that's that makes a lot of sense like people kind of need other people of similar thoughts and we do, we kind of need each other. So absolutely. Well, entrepreneurship can be lonely. You get a lot, you get a lot of no's before you get yeses. (laughs) You do, you do. And you got to have, you got to be in around around an environment that's going to pick you up when you're, when you get too many no's and stuff like that. You got to have leaders who have been there. And the only difference between the successful and the most uh, unsuccessful, the successful have taken more no's. They've taken more rejection. They've, you know, had more people quit on them. They've had, you know, more chargebacks, people that start a policy and that they've just gone through more negativity and stuff like that. They became mentally tough over yeah. time. And and that's what it takes. You got to pay that price, right? There's Absolutely. a price to pay to do it. And one of my favorite things was to talk about is that, you know, you need to, you need to work really hard to become successful. And reason being it's, it's the work, but it's the expectation. If you don't work very hard towards a goal, and you expect lots of success, you're not going to get it because in your mind, you say, I've not worked that hard to a, to a deserve this. I'm not going to get it. And you literally create your own future 
because you know that you didn't work hard, you didn't put it all in, you didn't go in there, you know you don't deserve that level of success, so you don't get it. It's it's crazy what the what you create of your own expectations of what you think you should receive, right? It's, yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of our biggest training trainings is getting over our limiting beliefs that we all have in our heads, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. Very cool. Well, Mark, this has been brilliant. Again, friends, if you haven't already picked up his book, be sure that you do that. Mark, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they'd like to get involved with your organization or learn more from you? I mean, I'm on, I'm on, I mean, I have, I maxed out on my friends on Facebook, I think. Like <laughs> so somebody can even private message me, but Instagram is also Mark Juan on Instagram. Most people don't have a problem getting hold of me if they want to, like Instagram or whatever. Um, yeah, you are easy to get hold of. I, LinkedIn, I reached out on LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, definitely. I'm not, I'm not too hard to get hold of. And then if you want to just go on, if somebody just goes on Amazon, puts my name, Mark Juan, all three of my books are on there, Making Industry to Avoid it, Avoiding Taxes, and then the book on IUL. Well. So. I love it. I love it. Well, you have been brilliant, and I am so very grateful to have your mentorship and be in business with you. Thank you so much for your time. To my Dream Big Nation listeners, I'm so very blessed to be part of your day. I hope this is bringing value to you. I hope you make that brave leap to hire yourself if you haven't already. As always, blessings to you in this amazing life journey, and we will see you soon. Hey, Dream Big Nation community. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about working with Lisa and her team directly, go to lisawilliamsco.com and learn how to hire yourself.